Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Elite Physique University. Um, I'm here with John and Jason, and this week we have Jeff Black from Iron House Strength and Conditioning, as well as Relentless Forever, and co-host to the Excellence Cartel with Jason on with us this week. Um, so we are going to chat this week about owning a gym, um, as John has owned a gym before, and Jeff now has Iron House 2 coming up and opening very soon. Um, so before we get into that though, we have to go over like how things are going. Um, before we get on, John and I were talking about how sicknesses are going around. So that's been fun to deal with, but mm-hmm. yeah, other than that, how's everything else going? Not bad. Jay, how are you, man? You seem, uh, you seem well, I'm sick. So why don't you start it off? Man? Uh, sure. I am not sick. Uh, feel pretty damn good. Um, Gosh, my last seven days. Um, well, I guess that includes Thanksgiving, at least for me. It was uh, on Friday. Um, we hosted at the house. Um, that was cool. Um, I had I had both boys there. That's why I did it Friday. Uh, so that was really nice. They hadn't been together really for a long while in terms of like where Maddox isn't at a soccer game and Aiden's on the field and they say hi, you know, and, and bye. And uh, Aiden's a good sport. He played with him. Like they did hide and seek all through the house tag. So it was nice, man. Uh, my mom and dad made it out. Um, you know, I've talked about before my dad's Parkinson's with dementia and uh, man, it's moving fast and it's, it's tough to watch. Um, so that, that is one of those things where, you know, I'm wondering how many more Thanksgivings do we have? Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of tough, but also, you know, it's good. Um, I also, Found out I have a half brother. Um, we found him. I knew about this when uh, I basically got Aiden's mother pregnant and I was acting like uh, the world was over. And he's like, finally, he was set me down. He's like, what's wrong with you? And I told him and he's like, yeah, that happened to me in high school. I don't know where the kid is. And he told me the whole story and what went down. And um, I did that 23andMe DNA test way back in the day because of my anxiety and like things. And the guy I worked with wanted to see like neurotransmitters and just other genes and how they all interacted. And um, so I've been in that database forever. And so some of my cousins actually. And this girl reached out and she said, I think I'm your niece or your cousin. And we got to talking and I told her about some things. And I said, my dad actually had a, a child. And she's like, well, you know, my dad was adopted and around this time. And so we put it all together and, and cross-referenced it. Her dad did the DNA. Um, so anyways, I found that out. So there's a lot going on. Um, you know, he uh, he had a troubled past. So then it makes me realize I was lucky to have my dad in my life is where I was going with this. Um, he had a real troubled past. So I haven't met him yet. Um, but I know Jeff Black knows cause I sent the picture when I, when I found out that it might be my brother, but it's been confirmed. So, um, that was another thing going on in the last seven days. As far as business goes, um, we're, it's been great. Uh, the HRT clinic hit hundred K a month for the, we're only nine months, nine months in business. Uh, that was kind of a milestone that Troy and I had set. Um, and we did it. Um, so that's really building um my next group mentorship has already about 19 in it so i'm probably going to close that and fill another one uh there's a lot of good talk about it going around so i'm i'm pleased to hear that um scooby preps continuing to grow i've added two coaches in the last two weeks and i'm bringing on a third 
I just got to get him his stuff. So I wanted to get a, another, another guy on there. I have a lot of females, which is fine. They're, they're excellent coaches. That's why I hire them, but I, I needed to get another uh, guy on there, I think. So a lot going on, some good, some bad, but that's life. So that's about it. Wow. That's a heck of a week. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I got to follow that. All right. Let me, let me kick this off the right way. And if you guys are watching on YouTube, you can see I'm drinking a mini monster. This is only 12 ounces, only 100 megs of caffeine. Jason's got a Sprite over there. We're all we're all drinking on something, but I keep my caffeine a little lower, a little lower these days. So mine's caffeine free. Yeah, I know. I get those from my son Gavin because yeah. he's 15. He doesn't need a bunch of caffeine. But anyway, um, yeah. As far as me, this will air probably I think Kayla mid December. So we're recording just after. Thanksgiving. Business-wise, I've had my biggest month of the year uh, for clients, bringing on online clients. So that's been good, um, which is pretty typical. Towards the end of the year, I get a lot of people that want to come on board and finish their off-seasons and get ready to start a prep. So I have a pretty decent November usually. Uh, Business-wise, Fat Muscle is just exploding and growing. We're in our new headquarters, been there for a while, new shipping headquarters. And we just had our uh, Black Friday special where we gave away these shirts with orders over 99 bucks. We just, we do and try a lot of new fun stuff and see what works and what doesn't. And we're getting ready to uh, do the fat days of Christmas, which is seven days of our biggest deals of the year. And that was huge for us last year. So I'm really, really enjoying that aspect of it. So on the personal side, just it's this time of year, we're all getting sick. So Jason, I, I think we all need to stock up on your new ethics, ideal immunity yep. and um, keep that, keep that in the plan. That's something that we were talking before the show. I'm like, Jesus, I carry your supplements. Like, why am I, why am I not? Th- you don't think about it stuff till you get sick and then so you sit sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So other than that, I've been good, but what about you, Kayla? My week um, has been pretty good. I would say besides, I think I'm starting to get sick, but I'm going to take that and not get sick because I'm <laughs> traveling very soon. Um, and I don't want to be sick for that. Um, so Double up on it the first week. What was that? Double up on it the first week. Perfect. Good. Cause I'm going to the Olympia and I do not want to be sick for that. Me too. You know um, what? I'm, I'm going to throw that Kayla. I'm going to throw that in the show notes while you're talking for our people right now, because if you're listening, you, you guys should have ideal immunity, especially this time of year. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. For sure. Yeah. So we just had Thanksgiving um, with my husband's parents um, and his family. Uh, so it was pretty chill. Um, drove up even even further north so we were almost like kind of up towards canada um really cold that's why i'm wearing like a nice big baggy sweatshirt here what's the what's the temperatures right now um i think right now it's been pretty cold today it's been like maybe like 15 to 20 oh my god right now damn we've had 50s and 60s just <laughs> guys outside in a shirt like a t-shirt with maddox throwing football and playing basketball oh, that would be wonderful uh, i got like my wool socks on and like nice Baggy sweatshirts. Yeah, I took the Porsche out even today. It's like 45 and sunny. It's, so it's it's still nice. Oh, wow, that's that's wild to me. Yep, that's sorry. Not I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. You're good. No, that's fine. Um, I'm still getting like I signed on two clients this week, so that was cool. Um, I've had quite a few calls still. Um, so just waiting on like to hear back from some people and everything like that. Um. Because as we all know, this time of year just kind of goes like downhill a little bit with signing people on sometimes. But um, it's actually been very good. Um, I also did my webinar last night on cortisol and hormones. And it was really, really good. Um, I got some really good feedback on it. And I already have like 10 people on a wait list that want to do another one. 
You had so, about 20, right? 2025. Yeah. Last night I had, I had like 30 signed up and I think about 20 showed. Um, nice. And then I have 10 more on a wait list who didn't get on and right away. So I'm going to host another one. Um, so by this time this comes out, I think I'm going to do it like early January. So by the time this is out, there should be a sign up for it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of a goal of mine is to start doing more webinars or classes like that too in the next year. So something else for me to add, but other than that, everything's good, good to go for me. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, just wanted to introduce Jeff on here. I'm sure if you guys have listened, you guys have heard of Excellence Cartel and talked to Jeff before or heard of it. Um, but yeah, Jeff, how was your week so far? You know, it's been really, really good. I, uh, I met with my agent, um, going over my book cause that's, uh, been quite a process for me. So that way I have someone to represent me for speaking engagements, um, and things like that. I've been working on developing my own brand that I will launch in 2023. Um, kind of getting ahead of this and, uh, just really great opportunities. Thanksgiving was cool. My Cowboys won Friday. I took off to the aquarium in Chattanooga and dropped a little LSD and saw the you, fish were, a little bit. You more. on your own for that trip or, uh, you know, so, <laughs> um, it was a good time nonetheless. And then just had a great weekend. I've been going like, uh, John and Jason with the signups. Uh, people are starting to creep back in. Um, these are the kind, you know, that the clients do best when they sign up because they're trying to get ahead of the new year and start getting their goals going. So um, <clears throat> otherwise, just things have been really great. I no complaints personally. Uh, I will say this. If you're ever interested in writing a book, the editing process is by far the most monstrous process mm-hmm. I've ever gone through. So I've taken 98,000 words and trimmed them down to 84,000 to put it in perspective. And that's on one glance through. So I have like a few more. They're trying to get me down to 70,000 by the end of it. So I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. You have to be there Uh, by February. So then I go into my final drafts and all that stuff with launch next year. Then it'll launch in quarter three, quarter four is what we're thinking. So it gives me plenty of time. Damn, dude, it takes about a year to write it. And then another year to publish it when you do it at this level. Um, and what's so, the brand that you're creating? I mean, you can only have to say the name, but like, that's going to be like for like with the book and the message and everything that that has, right. It's just going to be me. So, um, think like I'm, I'm going to do all YouTube channel, like longer stuff. Like I got guys who ask me questions about how to have good sex in your forties, mm-hmm. like what clothes I wear or like questions about like how to read food labels. So I'm going to kind of do a whole bunch of everything and just really kind of encompass it towards the brand. I've also got some interviews oh. lined up. Um, I'm going to interview a pastor to talk about how um, to get people to like go more towards church when people want to leave church. I've got some politicians I'm interviewing. So it's going to be a really cool, uh, diverse thing for me to get um, into. I think you guys can understand that when you do this for a while, you think of ways to diversify to keep yourself entertained and interested, um, especially in the shit show that is our industry. So um, it's just been cool to be able to be a part of that and, and watch all the growth that I've been able to have this year. Yeah, that's super you know cool. After yep. doing like the book and now you're opening Iron House 2 and managing Iron House 1 along with Real Us Forever, that's like a ton on your plate, but you're killing it. So remember, remember when you have your first speaking engagement, I don't give a fuck if those tickets are 2000 a seat. I get a free one front row. <laughs> I don't know you know the word free, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so nonetheless, no, I, 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 I'll be glad wherever it takes me. I'll put it to you like that. I've been very fortunate that Stephen Pressfield has been mentoring me sure. in the writing of this book and stuff. And I'm actually flying him out to Nashville and me and him are going to do like a one to two hour YouTube 
uh, oh, channel. He'll cool. probably be my first guest. And then he's going to do book signings at my gym and stuff like that. Oh, um, and we're going to take him around to some of the bookstores and just have a great time. Me and him are lining that up for spring of next year. So that'd be super cool. That's badass. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what I like about all that? If you look at the most successful uh, people that brand themselves, they're always people that are themselves. They never try and fake the funk. And everything you just said, man, it's it's all what we know about you. And it's all the things that you're passionate about kind of rolled into one. Yeah. And that to me is nice because you can just be you, man. So I'm excited to watch it for you. I've uh, The feedback I've got about my book and the first v- revision of it was really, really good. Um, they really liked how transparent I was. And then the other thing, the, the part where I talked openly about psychedelics and that's what I needed to avoid wanting to kill myself again. Um, because I'd already tried that at, uh, 32 and failed. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I struggled with that. Cause I felt guilty. I felt shame. I felt like, you know, Jason, and I've talked about this a lot before I even went down the road of trying them, but I was so much at sitting down or on my knees on broken glass that at that point I was like, you know what, it can't be any worse than this. And these medicines that they're giving me are just not doing anything. They're making me more numb. And I really talk about that openly and candidly because I was raised red and I was raised Southern and I was raised all these things that drugs were bad. And here I was contemplating using schedule one drugs to get me free. And I I talk very much in depth about that and and how it was very much a, uh, a struggle on many different levels for me to, to get to that point of freedom, to let go, to try them. Well, I, I won't hijack anymore, but I'll just say this. Um, a lot of people say that they want to write a book or they will write a book. Few people ever fucking do it. And I've written an undertaking, four. man. I, I, I've, I've written four. Now my process yeah. is a little easier because it's self-published, right? So it will wear you down to the point to where you just question ever wanting to do one ever again. So <laughs> I, I keep, I have keto is half freaking written and it's been that way for four years. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> like it, it kicks your ass. So I just want to say hats off to you, man. Cause I know you'll finish it. That's just who you are. You'd rather, you'd rather, you'd rather quit, you know, even talking about it. If you didn't finish it, like you would never quit. So it, I'm excited to see it come out. Thank you, man. I tell everybody, cause I get a lot of questions about writing a book now. And I'm like, there were many times where I had three hours scheduled and I might only write 300 words in those three hours because I was just trying to not do it. And then there were other times I belted out 4,000 words in three hours. So it just kind of, that's the process. It's like working on a PhD. There are going to be a lot of days you don't want to do it, but you still got to grind it out to get to the end. And I tell everybody, if you're really wanting to learn a lot about how to convey things better to people, then try writing a book because you'll get really good at uh, wordsmithing and being able to convey things that people could just never comprehend. There's a lot of people who talk a lot of shit in our space, um, in all spaces, especially the self-help um, improvement. But then I kind of got into this and I realized they have ghost writers. And I was yeah. like, well, that's some oh. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's not even them writing it because they're no. billionaires or whatever. I'm like, well, that's dumb. I don't even want to read it because the guy was who's my editor has written like 30 books. And I can't name names, but in our space, you would know who uh, those people are. And I'll just leave it wow. there. Yeah. It's very, it's very eye-opening to me. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, man. Like I can bang out a 200 page book in two days. And da, 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 da. what they do is they would be like, Hey, Jason, they would call you and they do an hour every week and they just get information from you. And then they just release a book in your name. That's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was really, it was eye opening. The whole thing has been. There's always stuff like under the surface of things once you get into them that you didn't think would happen. And then you're like, whoa, this is actually a thing. So crazy. It makes you realize a lot of the people who do a lot of talking really just have the money to be able to do the talking is what I've come to conclude. Yep. Yeah. So 
kind of where it sits. Yeah. Well, we could probably do a whole episode on just your book, which maybe we'll do when it comes out. <laughs> we, we will do it when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely that'll, that'll be talk fun. about that. Um, but we wanted to talk about owning a gym because both John and uh, Jeff have owned a gym. Um, John comes from owning Anytime Fitnesses, which is a franchise, and Jeff came from starting one from scratch. So we just kind of wanted to compare and contrast like the differences in like startup costs, all of that. So I guess like first question right off the bat is like, what sparked your interest in wanting to own a gym? I'll take this one first. For me, it was necessity. Uh, Jason knows basically the owner of the gym I was at text told all of us coaches who were there like, Hey, next month I can't make rent. I'm closing it. And Derek and I looked at each other like, well, shit, we got kids. Like, okay, well, how much do you want? He's like 30 K and we're like, all right, well, so we came to the table with a bunch of crappy equipment. We just did what we could. And that's how it really started out of necessity. I think I might, John probably maybe got into it for a different reason than I did. Mine was because a lot of my business is in-person training. I didn't enter online coaching really until 2019 when the Excellence Cartel launched. Before that, I was just very much an in-person trainer. And anyone who I did online was just clients of mine from in-person that their families want members or friends that talked to me and they wanted me to coach them from a distance. Um, but for me, it was more necessity. And I can be honest with you, if it wasn't for that necessity, I don't think I would have ever opened up a gym knowing what I know in hindsight. They're just a pain in the ass, to be honest That's with you. I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of ways people use toilet paper and obscene ways that cut and that destroy your cost is just mind-blowing to me. God. So. I have, as a lawyer, helped one person buy a franchise from gold. So I may have something to interject, but I've yeah, go for it. But that was really what it was for me for, it was more just need, you know, it was like, I had, I had two kids that I had to take care of and in person was my jam and I wasn't good enough like Jason and John to be in the online space yet. So I just had to hang my hat on that and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's um, my story is a little bit different. Uh, Jason and I go way back. So back in 2007 to 2000, basically early 2011, I was managing these anytime fitnesses, right? Yeah, I remember that when we were when I first met you um, yep. at the summits you used to do. Yes, sir. Yeah, so I managed those um, and I talked about that. So I left managing the gyms because my online coaching business just took off and I just did that full time. So I have a lot of experience with these gyms that I bought because I worked at them and I grew them, uh, one of them from zero members all the way up, you know, to making really good money. So I had a, a long history. I knew how to grow the gyms. I knew the business. Can you go well. over eventually what's really good money or that, do you feel okay doing that either I, of you or I want to be kind of talking about that. We could talk about whatever on my end. It might be different for John's, but I don't mind. I, you know, Jason, you know me, I'm always, I'm, I love talking about money and how much somebody can make. The problem is I sold them to my best friend and he owns them here in town and there's going to be a lot of people listening. So financials, I just don't want to give out because it's not, they're not Fair mine enough. anymore. I sold them to Jason Wells. So, but I will give people an idea of how they can figure out how much they can make, right? Just how to kind of crunch the mm -hmm. numbers. So in 2017, my mentor, Monty Pierce was selling the gyms and he was having a problem selling to the right people. He just didn't feel good about it. And I just said, well, what do you want for him? And he goes, you're really interested. And you know me, I'm kind of up for the next challenge. And I thought, you know what, this, this is my thing. Like I want to take on this challenge. So I bought a gym and then. I thought you were nuts when you did it, by the way. Well, I, I, <laughs> I thought I was nuts too. 
I, I looked at the numbers and one of the big differences between starting one from scratch and buying an existing gym that already makes good money. And that's what I did. It's a big difference. So I bought a gym that immediately day one, I was making money, even paying back the, the note to the bank. Right. So it, it was huge. And it was able, I was able to sell my stuff there. I was able to get clients there. I was able to basically do everything that I wanted inside of a gym and my online training. So can I interrupt? Sorry. Yeah. If it was already cash flowing and covering your new note, why did Monty want out? He had been doing it for quite a, quite a long time. So at this point it was 10 years in, he was slow. He had four of them in the area and I helped open uh, three of those. Uh So he was just done. You know, he's in his fifties. He's he's like all of us. He's an entrepreneur. Um, He was on to the next thing and he was slowly selling them. And his goal, I'm sure was always to make them very profitable and sell them lock, 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 you know, uh, whatever the saying is. Yep. So that's, that's what I did. And then I bought a second one a year after that in 2018. So that's, that's what I did there. I know we're going to get into more detail, Kayla, but that's that's where it started. And and they were, man, they were good gyms right out of the gate, like good gyms. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so going into that, like obviously startup costs are going to be quite a bit different. Like with John, how you said you already just, just bought it and there it was. And then Jeff, you had to go in and replace a bunch of equipment. I know you've expanded multiple times and now you have Iron House 2 going up. So how does that all play a role in like getting started with everything? So when we first opened our doors, it was April, 2015 and we had 42 members. Um, And me, Derek and I were like, oh shit, how do we do this? But within six months, we managed to break even. Um, so how I decided to run iron house was I just made a promise that I would live off my coaching and all my money from iron house would just be reinvested over and over and over. Now I created dynamic model in the sense of one time a year, you have a maintenance fee, um, that covers all my maintenance costs in the gym, the gym upgrades, any supplement sales. I take 10% of those every month, put them over into another fund to allocate for me to grow, um, the gym equipment side of things. And my number one thing is I've made debt, uh, debt free the entire time I've grown this operation. Um, on all, yeah. And that was, that was a big thing. As I go into iron house too, the bank's like, whatever you want, we'll give you. And I'm like, well, I don't want whatever I really want because I'd be, <laughs> I'd be taking way too much. But for me, I think it was just the idea of I wanted to stay debt free because I think John can agree with this. Gyms really are like a boat. The first day that you own a boat, the best day you buy the, or whatever the saying is, like the happiest day is the day you buy the boat. The second happiest day is the day you sell the boat. It's kind of like that with a gym. And what I mean by that is it's it's so awesome for me. Like I've had people come up to me and be like, hey, if it wasn't for this place, I would have been at the bar. I would have been doing these other things. So you get to know these members, but there is so much that really goes on behind the scenes and the money drains that go on behind it. I don't think if you, in today's world, and maybe John has a different view of this, but I don't think anyone could really open up a gym um, and do it for less than half a million the right way now, just because of equipment cost. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking at doing Iron House 2 and doing it my way, which will be, which will be something that would rival, um, you know, some of the other gyms, like especially um, uh, First Forms headquarters was a big one. Um, and just some of the other ones I've seen, and I want to do that. And you're talking, that's half a mil, like up front, just to be able to even roll it the way you want to roll it. And no banks are giving loans out to gyms anymore. Um, they want like a 30% down against what you're loaning. 
Um, and they're wanting that back over 10 years from what I'm seeing. So um, COVID really changed the name of the game. And that makes me kind of wonder where gyms kind of go over the next 20 years because the population is getting sicker, but the cost of gym equipment is getting so high that what you're having to charge for a membership almost tends to kind of wash itself out a little bit. So um, for me, if it wasn't for me training, I probably would have sold my gym pretty quick and got out um, just because the cost isn't there when you really look at what you can get paid for it. Mm-hmm. You know, from the franchise side of things, and Jason, this would be probably where, where you can chime in because I'll yep. talk about the there's some of the fees here because you help somebody buy golds. Well, mm-hmm. you know, anytime you get into a franchise, it's it's a process because you have to have a lawyer to finish the whole deal. That's going to cost you... You know, back when I did it five years ago, it's five, six years ago, is it now at least 2,500 bucks? These days, it's probably going to be well more than that. I would imagine in my area, 4,000 at least. So you're looking at that. But the big kicker with a franchise that people don't realize is there's there's two different options. You can either buy an existing Anytime Fitness or you can start a brand new one. And then you have to buy the franchise rights. And the difference there is, and I don't know what the number is now, but it was high as hell just a few years ago. If you want to open a brand new Anytime Fitness in your area, you have to pay a $75,000 franchise fee just to get to be a part of the franchise. It's like CrossFit. They want this obscene number just to have the name. Right. And it, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of to the point to where, you know, they got so popular. It's the world's largest gym franchise. They got so popular, they could charge it, right? Right. Um, and what you see is you see a lot of people that just, they want to own a gym. And, and this is their fault. It's not any times, but... They go and they they accrue so much debt starting out, and they don't know how to run a fucking business. You see a lot of that. Hundred. And, and then these any times are up for a year, year and a half, and then they're selling. That to me is is that's an opportunity for somebody to go in and buy a gym if they know how to run it. But to me, the best opportunity if you're going to get to a franchise is buy an existing franchise. I only paid five thousand dollars to get my franchise fee because it was already existing. So 5,000 is way better than 75,000. Now that might be a little bit higher now. I don't know. But regardless, even if it was 10, it doesn't matter. So you're looking at two different fees to get in. And you know if you're going to start one from scratch, just like you said, Jeff, these days, it's not worth it when there's so many Anytime Fitnesses, so many of these franchise gyms out there. You can go find one for sale and buy one that's already up and running that has a member base. Even if it's 300 members, at least you have money coming in. But I know this from managing the gym. So when you come in and there's zero members, you've got a long time until you get to break even and maybe break even's 500 members. Maybe it's 400. It depends on what you change uh, or what you charge. But to get started right now, to me, the only way someone could do it through a franchise is to buy a successful or, or a current gym that's at least somewhere close to breaking even. And if it's making money, that's your best bet. Did you um, have to pay an advertising marketing fee? So that's the other monthly? thing, franchises. So there's this whole list that breaks down. And, you know, I don't own them now, so I can say it. I fucking hate Anytime Fitness. It's one of the reasons why I don't, I like to march to the beat of my own drum, but there were so many things I had to deal Same. with. Same. And me selling it to Jason Wells, and I'm going to talk quite a bit about him because he owns them now. He already, he's part of Midas. He owns three Midases. He knows the game. Like he deals with it better than me. I'm not, I'm fucking team Gorman John over here in my house, writing diets. Like I don't, I don't like to. So anyway, there's a long list of things they charge you for each month. Now franchise fees, normal. Uh, that's everybody's going to get charged. That it was like 
550 bucks a month. But then what they do is they go in and they add all of these things an advertising fee, Jason, just like you talked about, where they post yeah. your Facebook if you want, or they take your money and run national ads and join for a dollar every fucking January. The problem is, is people are so tuned out to all these ads that they just keep scrolling by. So I think I was paying 600 bucks a month for that at the time. And that's not my bad. Gold was 1500 or two grand way back when. Yeah. And, it, and it, listen, it could be higher. Um, there's a lot of hidden fees. They're not hidden because you know about them before you buy them. But they're, I, I would say, hidden that not everyone knows about them. So you get charged for a music system these days. And you have to upgrade and you have to have a functional fitness area with turf. The now. fuck? They charge you for music? Mm-hmm. For ah, system, yeah. My Spotify but, playlist comes in handy. <laughs> and and that's, that's the advantage to owning your own gym yeah. versus owning a franchise. Franchise, they make you stay very strict. And that's done for a reason because they didn't become the world's largest gym franchise by letting people just do whatever they want because some people would bring the name down, like their standards wouldn't be high enough. And some of ours would be, our gyms were above any time fitness standards. So they have to protect their name and I get it, but startup costs, I mean, you're looking at, I would, like I would, like Jeff said, about half a mil probably is what you're mm-hmm. looking at. Start one from nothing. So go do the math on that put it into a calculator on Google and see what your monthly payment's going to be. And then you're looking at you're you have to, you need money to run, to live off of for a but, long but, time. But hold on, hold on, hold on guys. You know, I know, I know some guys here in Cincinnati, you know, they kind of started like Jeff Black, like they weren't spending 500 K they had maybe, you know, 15 different pieces of equipment. They had a lot of them that could go and be used both ways, some cages and Bosu balls and all this shit. And then they would add pieces of equipment. And as they outgrew that space, they would sign a new lease and move. So they grew slow. They didn't just go all in at half a mil. Well, that's, that's where I'm at. Jeff? That's exactly how I did it. But for Iron House 2, I don't get that luxury. The only reason I'm doing Iron House 2 is because we studied the demographics of our members and realized that half of my members come from the area I'm looking to go to number two at. I'm currently running out of space. I probably got a spot for 300 more people before I'm at max capacity. So perspective, in June of 2020, we came out of COVID with 527 members. As of December 1st, we're at 1,067. So we've gone over 100% in 18 months. And there's no letting off that gas. I mean, I'm actually increasing marketing dollars and so forth. But when you're opening up a brand new gym from scratch, the issue, Jason, is still the plates haven't come down. Like they're still charging well over a dollar a pound a plate. Or back in the day, we could get them for 70, 80 cents, depending upon what the plate was. I have a question for you. Sure. Um, You know, you got a thousand plus members. You're now profitable. I'm assuming if you wanted to take dividends, you could. Uh, Yes, sir. Well, why why start another location that where half of your people are coming from that area? So now they're just going to move. So now you've lost the revenue over on the left side and you're moving it to the right side. So what it really boils down to is because for Iron House 2, I can go up to 3,000 members in the space that I'm going to acquire. And that's where I'm going to do the space for the seminars that I want to build out and be able to pull people in. Iron House 1 will just allow me to split. What I will do is take the marketing and then put the dollars more targeted in the area around Iron House 1, and then marketing dollars targeted more around the area of Iron House 2. So I will just backfill back up. Even if I, right now, as it stands, Iron House 1 by me not touching it, 
I can open up Iron House 2, complete with a GM and an AGM, and the business is still running. I don't have to deplete any of my cash. And, and if, if I can add something to this too about two gyms versus one, and, and then I want to talk about the startup costs again. Um, we have a couple of gyms that are all that are pretty close. The ones in Springfield, I think, are within a three-mile radius. And what happens is, is the first gym that's getting full to capacity, you open up one that's close enough and there's some spillover. It happened from our Republic, Missouri to Springfield location. They were close enough. It allows the other gym to start growing again because like Jess said, Iron House One's about getting close to capacity. So it's going to be able to allow that one to keep growing. Correct. So the members out and he'll have a bigger gym that can go up to 3,000 members. So it, it's um, from the outside looking in though, Jason, you're right. That's the first thing I thought when we started opening them up that were kind of within a you know, five, six, seven mile radius. But once I saw it kind of, kind of bleed out and it kind of all went where it needed to allow both of them to grow. So um, now startup costs, the thing with a franchise is you're limited. You can only use certain equipment. You can't just go grab you stuffed from, yeah. you know, the use place down the street. Like they're very, very strict. Now I did, I don't give a shit. Now what are they going to do to me now? You know, um, it was already, we already had life fitness signature series and hammer strength. Like that to me is top of the line at this point, there's a lot of other good stuff. But when I went to add a couple other pieces, I just fucking went to the used place and got something that had a warranty on it. And I got all kinds of different equipment that was good bodybuilding equipment. Cause we're all bodybuilders. Right. So uh, I just didn't, I just didn't fucking tell them, you know, I, I don't, that's one of the things, one of the reasons why I got out. But when you're starting out new, you're looking at costs are really, really high, really high. So you can get refinished stuff, refurbished, or you can get brand new. And this the price is ridiculous right now. I dare say it's probably cheaper to open up a supplement line than it is a gym. You could probably do more damage with a supplement line than you could a gym long term. Oh, oh yeah, I mean exactly. I think we started with forty k. Yeah, the thing with owning a gym is it sounds and it looks real glamorous because you know you got this spot and the city and and the biggest thing like I tell people is I've had people come up to me at my gym like hey I'm going to open up a gym and I'm like good for you and they're like yeah. I got like a hundred people that are going to come and I laugh in their face. I'm like, do you know how many people said they were going to come sign up in my gym the day I bought it? <laughs> you know how many people we had the first day, like 42 of which like 40, all 42 were already there and just kind of like, didn't want to leave. <laughs> I'm like, no one signed up. No one came and cheered me on that day. Shit. My older sister never even bought a membership in my gym. You were in, so, the you, know what I mean? you were in that same spot. You just only had one bin, right? I had two bays and then I expanded it out into four. Got it. So, and I'm actually looking to expand and take over a whole nother two more. Um, so just kind of waiting to see what the negotiations are, but where you're really getting out squeezed now, and I don't know how it is in Springfield and other areas, but like Nashville, the property is just ridiculous what oh, they're yeah. wanting for rents and so forth. And here's the issue, Planet Fitness, they literally saturate the market at $20 a month. So people automatically think that $20 is like the entry price to a gym. I'm like, yeah, if you want a piece of shit. But if you want like a really good gym, they're going to be 60, 70 and $80. Well, I think you got to um, get into culture there, right? I mean, like, right, I, sure. would, I would, I want to train at your gym because I go there and it's, there's a culture to it. I go to Planet Fitness. I'm not wanted. And it's, a, you know, just some jackass who never touched a weight built the whole floor system, you know, it, it, anyways. Yeah. So no, I, that, was, that was my next question was going into culture, which is great. So we can you know, kind of go into before we do it. I, I don't want to interrupt Jeff. I'm sorry, but I know John wanted to finish his thought on, uh, franchise costs or costs. I don't know. If, well, we cover I, that, John? Just one more little thing. Cause to me, culture is going to be huge. 
kicker. Um, and I know Jeff and I are going to vibe on this, so I'm, I'm ready to get to that. This goes back to, if you're talking about a cost of everything inside the fucking gym, when you go to buy something that's already established or it's already, it already has stuff in it, you, you purchase two things. And this is the way the lawyers break it down. You have assets, an asset list, and it's going to have every single piece of equipment, what it's worth. And then you're going to have goodwill. And that's how many members there are and what the, what they bring in. Right. So assets, what you're going to pay for a gym that has equipment in it is going to be far less than what you're going to go out and try and get equipment and bring it into the gym and transport it and find all the right shit. That's why I'm trying to say, if you're going to get into the franchise side of things, you need to buy an existing gym. It's really the only way to do it right out of the gate. And you need to look at that asset to goodwill list and see what the ratio is. Um, and, and you got to do it really closely. I can speak to this. Um, they fudged the numbers on the goodwill side. They had people that they were telling us were members and they were members at their other gyms, but they were on the roll at the location that my buddy bought. And so we got in there and we're like, okay, this is bullshit. None of these people are here. Uh, The deal was already done and we kind of screwed them over too. I put some language in there that uh, he didn't have to become a franchise and he didn't have to pay off their franchise fee, which was like, I don't know, $18,000 or something in back arrearages. And uh, their CPA signed and agreed to it. Then I got a letter from their lawyers, big (laughs) firm downtown. We think you guys meant this. We need to amend the agreement. I just wrote them back. No, we meant what we meant. And that was it. Like, like we're going to, we're going to sign your new provision. Like, I'm sorry, your CPA signed it, but you shouldn't have let him negotiate with me. So we got lucky, but um, anyways. Well, and I, I hope somewhere here in the show notes, we can talk about, some of the things that you need to be aware of when you do buy a gym. So we can talk about P and L's and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, it, Jeff, go ahead, man, with culture. Cause that, that to me is probably going to be the biggest key for people to understand here. Well, I think this, there's culture divides into two inside of a gym environment. One, the culture of the people who work out and two, the culture of the employees. So autonomy is a value of my company. I don't want people that I have to babysit. So if I, if you're one of them, I'm like, bye, you won't work out very well here. But when it comes to our culture, what I told my team was I wanted us to have the Chick-fil-A of fitness experience. I wanted us to be the cheers of fitness, the local bar where you just got served a drink of fitness. Like I wanted people to know their names. I and Jason knows this. I haven't had a single turnover in my management team in over four years. Um, because I pay top dollar. I actually take out of my money to make sure they're paid really well. Uh, my GM actually can make uh, with bonuses and all 82,000 a year. Wow. Um, and I'm actually going to do that for my iron house too, because I believe that if you can keep that stuff steady, it increases your long-term sales with the client because they'll know like, Hey, John, did you grab your quarter ease for this month? I know that you know you really were talking to me about how great that product was, or they'll just go around and do stuff. Like it's just very, very different. What we're really well known for is that cheers environment. And that what that took was us just willing to lower that ego because what Planet Fitness did, I use them as a, as a big thing because I think that they're kind of like the, the arch enemy in the space, but they got everybody to be intimidated by entering a gym. Yep. And whether you like it or not, the people who really need to be a gym are in a gym are the people that you walk by in your grocery store, in the mall, in Walmart. And those are the people that think that people like us four are meathead assholes. So you automatically have to overcome that. And by us just being very low key, real polite, real everything in between, it was just a very real environment. Like it's nothing to see babies on our gym floor with parents while they're working out. Erin brings her uh, newborn son to the gym while she's lifting. So you see a lot of that. 
And it really speaks to the culture. But what we did was we do a refer a friend program and that's how we really grew our culture. So if you refer a friend, you get a month free. Um, and so if we sign up on average 60 people a month, a third of that every month is referrals. So those are people who already know our gym, already know what we're about. But when people come down to creating culture, it really is the leadership to get people the autonomy to run it. Um, I don't think that gyms run really well when they're micromanaged out. Like I literally talk to my team once a month for 30 minutes and that's about it. But isn't there a third piece to culture? Because when I walk into Iron House, the way it's set up, the sayings on the walls, the way it is, I'm ready to fucking train. Sure. And so that to me is when I speak culture, like the atmosphere, it's not necessarily the people in there. Like I do want to see, I do like when I see like people that are really serious but yeah. when I was speaking of culture, I was almost like speaking of like how you lay things out, how you put things on the wall, how it just how it looks, how it feels. It's hard to explain because I don't <laughs> own a gym, but you must have put forethought into that. So for me, that almost seems like a third piece. Dude, when I remember when uh, the gym walls, as you know, when Kayla and Jason, you guys been there, they're black now, yep. but they used to be white oh, and this gray. And everybody was against me painting them black. Oh, no, it's going to look terrible. It's going to shrink the place. I said, mm, I don't know. And I went ahead and did it. And it turned out to be a great thing. And then the doors are down four months out of the year. And I was like, well, these will suck to just look at shitty garage doors. So I just put sayings on them. Yep. It wasn't necessarily that was what drove my culture. I was trying to create an atmosphere where people knew that when you walked in, you wanted to train. Yeah. So when I, I yeah, but so that to me is atmosphere, Jay, like from a okay. gym ownership standpoint, Culture to me is more like how do the members interact with each other okay. and how does the team interact with said members? Like, for example, we did that cornhole tournament. It was 30 degrees. We had over 50 people show up to do a cornhole tournament and do Thanksgiving. You know, we've done Riker Strong, Jarrett Strong, raised over $10,000 for kids with OI in each instances. Like, we have a lot of turnout in regards to that. Um, the amount of men who shaved off into mustaches this month with me for the gym to, to raise money for creativevets.org. We've raised over $3,000 just for, you know, to be able to do that. So that's what I'm getting at. That to me is more of a culture piece. I think what you're saying is more, it's the atmosphere because that's the bodybuilder in you. That's the hard trainer in you. And that's the stuff we want. But I'll tell you the coolest thing that I see happen in my gym on a Saturday morning is at 9am, there's a bunch of moms who are in a powerlifting team. So there's like 13 moms who work out from nine to 11 who do powerlifting and they're like teachers and shit. There are people that you'd walk by at Kroger's that you wouldn't even think they worked out, but they all meet at the gym and they support each other. So I see stuff like that. I think that for culture piece, it's the amount of impact you can create in your community. So for me, that's the only reason I'm interested in scaling is I really like what I've been able to achieve in my community and seeing the jobs I've created, seeing a lot of the lives that have changed for the positive. And that's what I mean by culture. I think they're just two separate things that from, and I'll let John, you know, clean this one up, but that's kind of how, from my perspective, I look at one is atmosphere. Like I go into Chick-fil-A and every Chick-fil-A is slightly different based upon the culture, but the atmosphere is still the same. You still know you're walking in, the line goes this way. The people are still going to say my pleasure. You still know these certain things, but there's little differences, which establish the cultural difference between like the Chick-fil-A in Mount Juliet versus the Chick-fil-A in Hermitage. And to be able to get those on the same page, I think is very, very hard. And I think that as a gym owner, I don't want more than two or three gyms because I think once it gets beyond that, you probably can't control the quality of the product that well. And I would rather have something that's so top of the line, that's top shelf that you're like, you know, it's like Pappy Van Winkle bourbon, you know, you know, 25 year old bottle is going to be great no matter what you have. And that's something I want for, for my facilities.
You know, I agree with everything that you said. And a couple other things I can add. And by the way, we always did the refer a friend, get a free month deal. And yep. if you referred four in a month, we give somebody a free year. Wow. Um, because I would much rather have somebody that's in the gym, using the gym, bring their friends in <clears throat> and surround it with a bunch of people that they know and like than us just going out spending tons of marketing dollars and trying to just get any, you know, any person to come join the gym. Why not? get people that are friends to come in and create that culture. And that to me was a key. The other thing is having the right members. Like you can always have a few key members that are making big, big changes that help influence. And that's big. But to me, one of the main things that I like to leverage, and I do this with fat muscle, uh, Jason, you've done it with all Jeff, you probably do it as well is you have a team of coaches and the right coaches because they're going to bring in clients they're going to bring in people and those people are going to bring their friends in to come join. So that's how you, that's, that's how you grow the fastest way and having trainers are key. And we've always had top notch trainers at all of our locations, you know, guys like Adam Tornowski who also managed the gym, but you know, it's been a springboard for a lot of people's coaching careers and we bring in the right people. We're super picky and, they get people results and that go that spreads a word, but it creates the right culture inside the gym because it's nice to show up and train at a gym, especially if you're new when you know people around, but you're also in that environment where people are getting results because that's, that's what we're all in the gym for. And that's, that's the big difference between, and I see it here on the show notes, Kayla. So I'll just kind of go there if it's okay. The difference between these, these big, big gyms like planet fitness, just the big, big franchises and even though I had a franchise gym, I consider it to be more of a small gym. It's 10,000 square feet, both of them. But I consider it to have more of a culture like Iron House, even though it didn't look like it. And that was the difference. So I have to tell this real quick story. In 2013, we're in a shopping center, this Anytime Fitness in Springfield. And right next to us, I mean, I could throw a baseball and hit it. A brand new fucking Planet Fitness opened in 2013. And I wasn't part of the gyms anymore. I was coaching people. And my mentor, Monty, called me. He said, hey they're coming next door, like literally next door. What do we do? We put our brains together. And what I had learned from owning Tim, Tim Gorman and having events and people together, I was like, listen, man, you got to triple down on your culture. That That's the only way. People won't leave a top-notch gym to go to some cheap place. To me, Planet Fitness is the body fortress whey protein of the fucking yeah, fitness yeah. industry. That's literally what they are. 10, they're not $10 a month. They say 10, but it really comes out to 20. Yeah, it's twenty. You get this cheap, cheap experience, or you can go be around people that are getting results, people that you that are passionate about helping you out, or you can just go be a number. And for some gyms, that's okay. If like if that's all you want, you don't you don't want that plan. It's fine. You know, can't be for everybody. But that to me is where culture separates everybody. And guess what? They didn't hurt fucking business at all. And when I bought the gym, they were next door. And I never paid them one second of my attention. I never went after them. I never tried and pulled their members. I never did any of that because I knew if I just concentrated on our culture inside, we would be just fine. And we keep bringing people in, uh, friends of the members. And that's it, it's worked the whole time. I do think this to wrap up the culture piece. So back in April, Jason knows I did this. I had t-shirts made up that said average Joe's. And I asked my members to show up at five o'clock on a Monday night. They'd all get a free t-shirt. I had over a hundred members show up. We took a giant photo on my gym floor. And it basically what we said was we're looking to average Joe's looking to recruit for our dodgeball team to take on the purple Cobras. If you're interested, come check us out. But it put a face to what Iron House was. So a lot of people went, holy shit, that's a lot of people who look just like me in there. 
And that opened up the floodgates. We got like 20% increase um, in memberships month after month after that point. A lot of it is being dynamic and be willing to take a chance. And that's what my culture stands on stands for. I am very much, I run my businesses like Silicon Valley. I try to break things really fast to figure it out and grow. I think that's a really awesome way to wrap up the culture piece for sure. Um, Cause that's probably one of the most important things in recruiting people to coming to the gyms to begin with. Um, but we we're getting close to our hour. So I want to like, just get a couple more like of the important questions in there. Um, we sure. have quite a few more, but um, I guess like, Mm-mm-mm. You know what, Kayla? Can, Jeff, can you go longer? I can go about 10, 15 longer. So yeah, I, I got my super I today. I can all ask. Yeah, so I, I can go to I can go to about uh, I guess four ten, four fifteen. Your all's time. Me too. So we got a little bit of time. Okay. I think we already answered the hardest part of owning a gym, and I think yep. a little bit of the most rewarding part. Yep. Um, I would the- like to hear what I would like to hear to know what John would do anything different. Uh, this if he were to redo That's it any time, I, I would like to hear that because I have my opinions on how I would do Iron House differently. You know, as far as doing anything different, I wouldn't change anything about the staff. I wouldn't change anything about the trainers. I wouldn't change anything about the way we tried to grow the gym. Um, the thing that I would do different comes down to something a lot of people don't realize. So many people take a business and they try and focus on, okay, how do I make it bring in more money? My mentor, Monty, I've mentioned multiple times, the smartest thing to do with any business is how can you minimize expenses and how can you trim those down? Because he he told me, he said, those are the termites of a business. Those are the little bitty things that add up that you don't see that are eroding your house until it's already, it's already has a lot of damage. So if I would go back, this was my first big business that I owned. And, you know, Team Gorman's a coaching business, like doing a PL, profit and loss for that and keeping track of your expenses, and the money bringing in, that's fucking easy, right? Like get an Excel sheet, keep track of everything every month. Now this is different. So I wish I would have asked for a little bit more help and understood the numbers better, even though these gyms made me really good money and I sold them and made good money. I wish I would have went back and really maximized that. It became more of a bean counter, so to speak. And I love numbers. Now with fat muscle, I'm I'm like that. I can tell you shit to the penny. Um, but I wish I would have been better. But what I think happened is, is that prepared me to be able to do the things I'm doing with fat muscle. Like those learning experiences, keeping track of P&Ls and paying monthly taxes, employment taxes. Like I did all that myself. And it really, really prepared me. I just wish I would have went back and asked for a little bit more help because there are a couple of times where, um, you know, I sent in the wrong amounts because doing employee taxes can be confusing. And I did this and that. Once once you start messing around getting letters from the IRS, <laughs> like if you're trying to do it yourself, you don't know if they're fucking asking for something you paid or not. So that part gets confusing. I would go back and hire an accounting team, an accounting firm to be able to handle that stuff for me. Now, I never gotten any trouble really i just i had some extra stuff that i ended up having to pay just because i didn't understand what i was sending in at first but (laughs) i think having the right people around to help you with taxes and things like that and in your p l's and your monthly expenses that to me is what i wish i would have been a little bit more on top of but it prepared me for what i'm doing now so it's all good i got a shocking answer i don't think i would have changed it single thing because it gave me a black belt in business and what i mean i think john can agree with this once you pay like a tax bill that hurts your feelings that you just should have known about 
you're kind of like, well, fuck. And then you start figuring things out. So I, like I said, I go back to the Silicon Valley thing. I think if you're going to run a business, being able to destroy it really quick and not to the point that it goes into the red, but in a way that you can learn and get progressive. Like I post about this in my my story. I got asked an anonymous question about five things I've learned about business. I would never, the money I spent on business coaches and business mentoring, I would have just spent it fucking up learning how to build my business. I would have just been like, okay, that 10K there, I would have just dumped it into figuring out how to write better copy to do all these things, to do ads. There's just so many things I would have done differently. Like John and I could probably do an IG live about, so you want to open up a gym. We could probably even do a, a mentorship class courses over it and people would get, be blown away what it really entails. But I got very lucky. Um, one of my clients, um, Allison, she actually became my CFO. I have a COO. Um, so I got very lucky in all that, but I wouldn't have changed anything. I think people, in business, like in our coaching space, especially, they think by hiring Jason and John, they're, they're going to have these fast, quick answers to go get a hundred clients immediately. And they miss messing up. And I think messing up teaches you to love your business a little bit more. And especially when you're running a brick and mortar, that's the stuff. Because when you watch what people don't like and they leave, you have a choice. Either you fix it or you don't. And one is do and one is die. And that is kind of like what I really enjoyed most about it. But I think to me, people are afraid. And I think that when you enter business, like I think Jason, when he did new ethics, he was probably a little scared, but at the end of the day, like you, you miss a hundred thing, hundred percent of the chances you don't take. Um, and I think in business, you're better off just being a little messy and I wouldn't have changed anything. I have stuff I'm going to do a little differently for iron house too, but a lot of it's like what John said, mostly it's financial because you're just a coach and you're just like, I'm going to open up this gym. And then you're, you run the simple P and L and then you realize like, oh my God, there's all these other things involved to it. And it, it really becomes a lot. So that would be John's advice was the best, but that'd be the only thing I would probably have changed. I really like that. I think that that's really important and a big piece that new coaches, new gym owners will miss is just the messing up that that's just part of it. And I think people, you know, myself at one point too, was just too scared of messing up about stuff. And you have to learn from that and dig yourself out of it in order to enjoy it more and to really um, see the reward in it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, every one of us here at this table got told by someone that we couldn't do it. And that was a big thing for me. I had a lot of people around the area that laughed at me. And now I get to quietly laugh without ever saying a word. That little satisfaction is pretty nice sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. So I wanted to talk a little bit about just like going into Iron House 2 now. So we already know that it's going to be a much bigger space, that you're going to do the seminars in there, and that you're changing up some of the small little details in there but as far as like atmosphere things like that are you still planning on doing all the same equipment like what is that all going to look like for iron house 2 so i'm gonna do an entire brand new line of arsenal and then i'm going to go buy hammer strength odds and end pieces like i have in my gym that i really like and that's pretty much how i'm going to do it a lot of people want I like Prime, but the problem with Prime is his footprint. And that's what you start running into when you own gyms. Like the amount of space that some of this equipment takes, you're kind of like, yeah, it's a great piece of equipment like that, that row that Prime has, but it's the equivalent of like two hammer strength pieces. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'd rather have two hammer strengths for that one. The bigger thing that I'm changing with Iron House too, is I'm not doing contracted coaches. So right now I have coaches who pay me a rent fee. Um, for Iron House 2, it will be all underneath Relentless Forever, my training flag. 
Um, and that's where we're hiring. We're actually recruiting. So I think John can agree with this. And this is part of the thing, like we'll talk about growth of companies. The number one barrier to growing a company right now is finding people who are willing to dig in longer than one month. Like, like they, if they don't immediately make like 10 K in a month, they're like, Oh, this just isn't for me. And I'm like, well, all right, I guess it's not for you, but, um, that's the hardest thing. So I, I started doubling down and I'm actually contacted every university in the, the middle Tennessee area. And we're going to be having interns coming through our gym. So we're going to pick two interns in the fall, spring, winter, whatever. And we're going to start working them and recruiting them through there. And we'll teach them the in-person and then on the back end, we're going to teach them the uh, the online training. So that way they can have a hybrid model. I think that has the COVID 2020 flood of coaching wears off and those business courses and things like that die. Um, the coaches who already established an online training are just going to rule. And I think a lot of coaches are going to have to have some sort of in-person training just to be able to make their bills um, or they'll get chewed up. And that's kind of where I'm banking down on it. Um, otherwise it's going to be the same feel, same, everything. The only thing that I am doing differently with this one is I'm doing a seminar room. And that is strictly because we do the physique education collective. We can bring it into Nashville. The exit that this gym will be off of has three, four big hotels under armors headquarters, right down the street. That exit's headquarters is right down the street. There's literally 50,000 jobs right off my exit that I'm already able to attack. But a key thing I realized, and this is why I tell people, you have to understand your market, your city you're in. I realized that CSCS, NSCA, all these people were paying Opry five, $10,000 to be at their hotel for two days to do seminars. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if we contact them and we're like, hey, we got a gym you can use with a seminar room that's loaded out with top-end equipment, et cetera. And that's what I'm going to do. So my uh, director of training, Jason Coley, I'm splitting the revenue with him. I work very well with entrepreneurs, people who don't want all the risk of an entrepreneur like Jason, myself, and John. And, and uh, his job will be able to will be to fill out that seminar every month, every weekend to get people stacked in there. And that's a that's a revenue stream. The one thing about gyms that's very interesting, and John can speak to this, you have so many income streams underneath the gym if you really know how to do it right. You've got supplements, you've got drinks, you've got apparel, you've got passes. Like the poor guy up the street from me closes his gym every holidays, and I literally make $1,000 off of day fees from the members who just want to come in on Thanksgiving. There's so many different ways you can make money at this. Um, I'm looking at doing like batting cages, um, has a back end, and uh, Muay Thai kickboxing and things like that. So there's really a lot that you could do um, in that regard, but that's pretty much Iron House 2 is going to be more of a chance for me to figure out what really works and what ways to make money. That's super cool. I think that's going to be going over like really well, especially the seminar room. Um, I know I'm excited to see it when it opens, but um, yeah. Um, let's see. I think to wrap it up, what is just some kind of piece of advice? You know, I know this whole episode was kind of- Can I ask John a question? Advice. Oh yeah, sure. John, when you went to sell your gems and you don't have to talk numbers, what was the multiplier that they gave you? And what was it that made you come off and say that I'll sell these two gems? Like, when did you finally know? Because I've been offered gross multiplier by four. And I was like, damn, like, I mean, it was a good chunk of change when I did the math on it. I'm like, Ooh, I could, I could be up there doing Jason Theobald living, you know what I mean? And so um have myself a posh little house with a nice bookcase in the back too. But what was it that eventually made you come off of it? And 
was it the numbers? You don't like again. You don't have to discuss them, but was it something that you look back and you say the juice was worth the squeeze? So mine is a little different um, because I sold them to two people that I know that are friends, colleagues. Yeah. I wanted them to make good money, and at the end of the day, I this I say this all the time. Like money's not that important to me, but it is important. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't just sell them just to fucking sure. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, I I made money on both those gyms. Not gonna lie. One's my best friend. He's listening to this damn show right now. I guarantee it. So part of it was I already knew what they had been valued at when I was going to buy them. Um, I sold one in late 2019. So it was before COVID. And then I sold the other and it was sold actually during with a week of the shutdowns. And we decided to wait. Jason Wells and I decided I didn't want to sell him a gym that he couldn't even have open for two months. Little did we know about it took us 18 months to finish the deal because then People are behind on the IRS is behind on doing taxes for everybody and his were late. And you know, all the stuff I need, like it just took time, right? The IRS just kind of fucked the whole deal. Well, at that point, I'm not going to change my sale price because everything else is going up in the world. So it was one of those things to where generally, yeah, you can take a three to five times EBITDA. People want to Google that, look it up. I don't, I don't want to go into detail on it, but um that's generally the best way to do it. So my number was more of what I felt comfortable with, what I was going to make good money on walking away from and the time that I spent growing it. And I spread some of that out. Like there's a guy listening right now who is a big part of that growing. He, he got a nice little fat bonus in cash from me. I'm not going to say who it was, but he knows. And that's because I appreciate, I appreciate him. Um, he helped me grow those gyms, took care of it. So I didn't have to come in and do much. And he's so important to me that if the guy ever needed a liver, I'd probably be the first one to, to or a kidney, I'd be the first one to sign up and say, hey, uh, uh, you can have one of mine. Like he was that important. So most of it was just selling them to the two people I did so they could make good money, but I could walk away with good money and, and feel right. So it's more of a gut decision. I thought um, Wells brought, bought both. He only bought one. So I had one in a, in a town close by. I sold to an old client of mine, a trainer named Marshall Larimer. Mm-hmm. Jason bought the Springfield location for me. There's another one in Springfield. He bought that final one from a mentor, Monty. So oh, it's just kind of okay. this whole circle. Got yeah, it. yeah. Um, so really, it just came down to what I felt good with. It, you know, crunching the numbers, I sold it to both of them at a very fair price. I probably could have asked for another 50 grand, honestly, and got it from somebody. But they weren't the right people, though, in the gym. And I just didn't feel good with that. So at the end of the day, that kind of went into it. Yeah, see, I got offered gross times four multiplier, but I had to sign a non-compete for three years and work. And I was like, well, damn, that locks me up. You know what I mean? And my chief of staff was included in that too. Um, So I get what you mean. Like my chief of staff there, uh, Jason knows and Kayla, she runs both my companies and allows me to just do my visionary role and be the cheerleader CEO that I'm, I'm not too bad at, I guess. But um, I, I take care of her. And I think that that's something like I tell people, if you're going to own a brick and mortar, especially a gym, if you're not willing to take care of your staff and take care of the members, then don't open it Um, because it will, it will eventually be something that you will begin to loathe if you uh, don't really put forth that kind of heart into it. For me, it's just cool to see what the community's done. Um, It's the money's nice. Like, right. We all want to be, make some money. But it's not going to be like a cash out of sep- selling a supplement company. Um, and I think that if you're going to own a gym, your best bet is to make sure that you're training people inside your gym so you can hold down the culture, you can hold down the vibe, and you can be the piece of energy that keeps the thing going, that heartbeat. But I appreciate you sharing that because 
I've gotten to talk to other gym owners and they eventually just hit a point. Like one guy told me, he's like, you know, I walked in one day and the fucking toilet was broke again. And I just texted the guy and said, I'm ready. And I was like, wow, that was it. A broken toilet. You know what I mean? He was just like, just wanted to be out. And, and then he had his regrets. Um, and it doesn't sound like you have any, John. So I appreciate you sharing that candidly. Yeah. And, and you know what, man, I'm going to be coming through there sometime here in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to hit you up because I need to stop in and see your gyms. I've wanted to for a long time. Kayla, I know we probably have another, what, five, 10 minutes. So I just, there's something I want to say about that because anytime you buy or start something to me, people should always look at, so what's, what's going to happen when I do get rid of it or stop or sell it or whatever mm -hmm. that thing may be, whether it's new ethics supplements, fat muscle supplements, our gyms, whatever, right. We're all going to be done with something at some point. And the, the thing that made me kind of realize the gym industry wasn't for me, and this might be for some people is the repetitiveness. We call it rollover in the gym industry where every month you try and sign up X amount of members and every month you have X amount that fall off. And once you get it up to a certain point, you're really just trying, like there's only a max amount that you just, uh, maybe a gym, it's 500, for example, to where you just, after five years go by, you're just repeating the same process. You're, re you're replacing people that fall off and that's just the gym industry. You can only do so much marketing. You can only try so much stuff before you start to try it all. And, and for me, at this point, I had managed for four years and then owned them for four to five. So that's, that's a long, that's a lot of, that's a lot of time yeah. playing gym game. And to me, it wasn't a challenge anymore. It was the same old shit and I didn't have a passion for it. That's the number one reason why I sold by both my locations. Um, the money w was decent, but I'm not going to lie with the other things I'm doing with coaching and fat muscle it wasn't worth it. So if a manager quits on me, I got to stop what I'm fucking doing to go make 10% of what I make doing other things. And it just wasn't worth the time. And, and it was, it was just a culmination of all of it. It's not that the gyms were bad. I didn't like dealing with the franchises. I didn't like all that stuff, but most of it was, I got fucking bored of doing the same thing over and over, but I was also hamstrung. I didn't have an iron house. I hadn't any time. So yeah. it, it's a little bit different when you own your own thing and it's literally your heart and soul. It's you. It's not part of someone else. It's allowing you to do your thing. So that was, that was my reason. Yeah. hundred percent. I'll talk numbers since I know the audience wants to know 2021, I took 85 K um, home. And that was after paying my GM, the number I said earlier at 80 K uh, my chief of staff is over that 80 K mark. And I have all my staff members make 15 plus an hour. Um, plus they get bonuses if they hit sales. So we have a sales driver for our store. Um, I'm going to do more than 85 this year. With that being said. Can I ask you real quick? Sure. Since those people are rock stars, how many hours do you have to spend there? Not training people, but actually doing gym related shit. Zero. That's what I thought. So yeah. 85 is not a bad take home. No, but you know what? It comes back to if I didn't set that up to take care of people sure, and to really pay them high. And so that's why I'm getting it. If you want to build a gym from scratch, be in there building it as a trainer, as a coach. Like if John were to go out and build one tomorrow and be like, I'm going to build Fat Muscle University here in Springfield. And he decided to do it. John would be best served. I'd look him in the face and be like, John, you need to be on that gym floor building that baby out and get those people around you because you know, in a few years, your payout's going to be even higher because they have ownership stake, you know, like. I bonus them out for ridiculous shit. Like, you know, I mean, I gave Thera a significant bonus this year in cash just because of what all she does behind the scenes. And I think that if you're going to go into a gym trying to make money, 
you're going to lose. If you go into a gym of how I can serve other people and serve my community, you're going to make a fuck ton of money. And that's the big difference between the two. And I think that the industry has kind of gotten a little, because it's so fast right now, you know, we've seen, Hey, if you can't make 10 K in three months, it's an online coach. And not everybody gets that ticket. And the gym industry is very much the same thing, just like the supplement industry was for you gentlemen as well. So if you guys are looking for numbers, the gym industry is very lucrative, but it's a lot more, you have to wait a few years before you kind of get your payout. And then once you start getting your payout, it's there and it's a pretty good chunk, especially if you invest it back in the stock market with an annual return of 9%. There's your financial advice, but please, I'm not a financial consultant like Jason. <laughs> I was at one time. Kind of. I know you were. That's why I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, and, and and that's some of the stuff, man, like, you know, with, with our, with what we do for a living, I think that gyms are really cool, man, because you get to see firsthand so many lives changed. And I think John can testify to that. It was just cool to see like Mr. and Mrs. Jones. You know what I mean? It's neat when you see the bodybuilders do things, but shit, the bodybuilders should be doing stuff because they're already training at a high level. But to see a mom believe in themselves again or see like in John's case, Jason Wells believe in himself again and do all the things he's done. You can't put a price on that, man. When you see that shit every day and you see those people working it and sweating it, that's where gym ownership, that's where it's really like a win at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a for us to just kind of give our final thoughts. Do we have enough time? Sure. Okay. I, there's just one thing I wanted to get out real quick um, because a lot of this, we've talked about the negatives and some of the positives, but from a franchise point, if there's somebody listening now that you really just, it's your passion to own a gym, this to me is how somebody could make it work. We've already talked about buying an existing franchise that already has a member base and it's breaking even or making a little bit of money. But to me, you cut costs by you're the one who goes in and you manage it, run it. So in any time fitness is perfect. One person can do that. You, you'll get trainers and stuff later down the road. But if you own your own gym, most of them are about five, 6,000 square feet. You can get three, four, five, 600 members of one of those. You don't have to pay somebody to manage it for you. You're in there managing it. All right. So that saves you the cost of paying a manager. So then you're, the money that the gym makes goes into your pocket and the money that the manager makes goes into your pocket. And that to me is the best way for somebody to start out. Then when you get it so big and busy, maybe if you do want to expand to two gyms, that to me is where the money really starts to add up is when you own multiple gyms, two, three, four gyms. And that's, that's, you want to be, and I'm talking, if you want to make 500,000, you want to make seven figures, like you need to own multiple, multiple. And I'm talking about from my end, right? Multiple, any times you need to own like four of them. So it all starts though with, I think that person's got to be in there managing it. I know it does. And you got to keep your costs down and you've got to buy an existing franchise gym that has a member base breaking even or make a little bit of money. And that to me is where it can work. So if you're listening, that's, that's what you need to do. Don't go start one from fucking scratch because you're going to be battling a huge uphill, uphill struggle right now. I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, I think my take home would be this. If you are going to build one from scratch, set it up as two different wings. And what I mean is wing one being your gym, wing two being your training. And that way you're able to really build. Um, the rent model works to a certain degree, but here's the deal. When you can easily get 20% of every client coming in, plus their membership, plus their supplements, plus all that, it's way more 
advantageous and fruitful for you to consider as an owner rather than just a rent-based system. Um, and that's why I'm changing that iron house too. I'll put it in perspective what you can make off of training. Training is the driver of growth of a gym. And I think John would agree with that. The gym itself is just what kind of just keeps you being able to keep the lights on, keep you upgrading, keep everything a little bit nicer and better year after year for people. Because members like to see you upgrading. They like to see a new barbell. They like to see a new dumbbell. That's the stuff. But the training, that's the maximal driver. And that is what is really going to make your money. And I think an in-person, if you could do what Jason's doing, where you have like 10 in-person coaches, you can make a lot of money at that rate off of the in-person and plus to create them on the back end of the hybrid. And that's why I'm hoping to exploit going into 2023. There's one other thing I got to throw in. Listen, if you own a gym and you're listening right now and you're not selling supplements, Myself, Fat Muscle Project, New Ethics, hit us up. We have wholesalers that carry our stuff. So little. <laughs> yep. When you come through Nashville, we'll have to talk, John. When you come through Nashville, we'll have to talk because I wouldn't mind having your supplements in the store because I couldn't get other brands in because of competition stuff. So like whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm just being, I'm just kind of joking around. So Jason, no, you give our shameless plugs, but yeah, man, I'll, we'll definitely talk shop. Dude, I've, it's been fun having you on the show. I wish we could do a part two to this because there's so much meat on the bone to talk about with having the right trainers and all the ancillary sales and stuff like that. And Jason, the legal side of things that people need to understand, like that's a whole other world in and of itself. Yeah. You know, if we get good feedback, Kayla, maybe, maybe we should do a part two on this. Yeah. Yeah. We could go into more of like that side of it, of just like owning a business versus like, just like a gym setting kind of thing. Um, it's legalities and everything like that. But yeah, this was really, really insightful. Um, it's always fun having Jeff on the podcast too, because it's always a good time. I always um, enjoy chatting. Oh, John, I think before we do it episode two, we should charge $10,000 for our masterclass where we'll only accept 20 people just to create like scarcity mindset of FOMO. Um, that way we could be like, look for 10 K we're going to help you 10 times that we'll create some stupid multiplier and throw it out there. You're going to trigger me. You're going <laughs> to, <laughs> that's the whole point of it, sir. Well, guys, thank you all for having me on. I really enjoy it. And we'll have to have you guys do a takeover of the excellence cartel soon as we build out our books for the month of January and stuff like that. And kind of maybe do an open Q and a or something along those lines, but I really enjoyed you guys having me. Oh yeah, Thanks, for dude. sure. That would be fun. Um, yeah. So good luck with finishing up your book too. And then um, I think last thing, just let everyone know where they can find you and stuff. Jeff Unbreakable Black on IG. That's pretty much where I've been hanging out and put all my stuff up for the time being. Every other form of social media sucks in my opinion. <laughs> Perfect. You guys heard it. So um, thank you guys. And uh, we will see you later. See ya.